I've never had a problem making a decision, saying, all right, let's go. I'm not afraid of the hard times and things can get rough. You know, this is my, how many crashes have we been through since I've been doing this? I've been at companies that were struggling and, and, or we worked for six months on a product and our competitor launches a version the day before. I mean, there've been, you just can't throw me anymore. Hi, I'm Jubin, operating partner at Kleiner Perkins, and I'm excited that you're tuning into Grit. The goal of this is not for it to be a highlight reel of how successful my guests are, rather a candid exploration of how hard it is both personally and professionally to create, build, and scale world-class organizations. If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe, leave a review, and make sure to follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter. Thanks. Are you excited to move back to New York? Yeah, I mean, we, so we, so, yeah, how does it work? I mean, with CBS, that last year before the merger, yeah, I think I was there 30 times from here, from here, flying back and forth. Yeah. And look, I was always in LA or New York. I mean, all the time anyway. We had a big office there, it was mm-hmm. our second biggest office. But that year, after Les left mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the CFO took over as, as CEO, he was in New York. So we all were back there the whole year. So we agreed, my wife and I, we're going to go together like to wherever we're going. So in this job, in this job. So we got an apartment and uh, my youngest is in boarding school in Connecticut and that kind of dovetailed and I have two in college. And so it worked out great. And how are you going to split- live in our best empty nester? Life. How are you going to split the time? Quarter on quarter off. Literally three done. months on Since three September months 21. off. September 21. I mean, we got the apartment in October yep. of 21. And other than just this last Q2, which kind of went off the rails for me personally, we've been doing it. It's great. And I guess for you, You've always been like kind of at the intersection of media and technology. And so being bi-coastal across New York and San Francisco makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And it's always been, right? For 25 years, I've been Do you have a preference? to New York. Here. I mean, I grew up in the Bay Area. I grew up in Silicon Valley. Yeah. Before it was Silicon. I mean, Silicon Valley, when I grew up in San Carlos, yeah. you know, it was a middle-class town of firefighters and cops and people who owned small businesses. And my dad was the town, small town lawyer. Silicon Valley was Sunnyvale, not San Carlos. That's right. Yeah. It kept moving north. Yeah. I mean, Sand Hill hadn't really fully happened. Yeah. Right? In the 80s. Yeah. It really happened in the 90s and on. And do you live in San Francisco? No, we live in Lafayette. Okay. Yeah. So Ask Jeeves, which bought my startup from the 90s, was in Berkeley. And wow. so when we moved back That's right. here. You could see it when you were going over the, um, that's right. the bridge. That's Well, no. Well... We, so we had to earn our way to that building. <laughs> the, the turnaround happened first. That's an even longer then you story. Got the nice building. During the dot-com boom, they bought that whole building and then had to give it up when they almost went bankrupt. When I joined, the stock was under you know, $100 million. It had been over $10 billion when that was a lot of money. And so we had to earn our way back to that building. And we only had two floors of that building, but we got the logo. No, it was in Berkeley by the uh, Emeryville train tracks. It was in Emeryville. Emeryville. Wow. Yeah. So we've been in the East Bay for 20-something years, which we actually kind of grew to love. Has the Bay changed a lot? Like, uh, do you have... Oh, yeah. When people from New York ask you today, what's it like in San Francisco? Is it everything that we're seeing on the news? You know, is it bad? How do you respond? I've actually had a hard time responding. Are you from here? I'm from the Bay Area. Where are you from? I'm from Los Altos. Okay. Moved Perfect. To- You're part of my answer. Yeah, okay. Go ahead. (laughs) Because when we have these friends who have moved away to Texas or Florida, 
And they said it got so bad. I was like, oh, is it, was it so bad in Los Altos? Yeah. Or Atherton? Yeah. Or Los Gatos? Like, what are, what are we talking about here? Yeah. Certainly downtown San Francisco, which is always in the 70s and 80s when I grew up. My parents used to take me to the Golden Gate Theater, like, for plays or to go to dinners. It was always, you know, a little grittier than the rest of the city. Yeah. And certainly than the rest of the Bay Area. But San Francisco is only a tenth of the population of the Bay Area. Yeah. It's a big place. Yeah. So I always point to that. I mean, the rest of the Bay Area has been is still doing very well. Oh, I don't think and there's any criticism in of downtown the broader San Bay. Francisco. Needs time to recover. I mean, what happened was everybody left, and so you kind of had this zone downtown where I worked for the last 13 years mm. before COVID. You know, we were south of Market. You know, there wasn't a lot of foot traffic from people in the financial district and and Soma anymore. But it's coming back. I mean, we know Street Roll Valley is a part of that. Mm-hmm. We just signed a lease around the corner from here. Um, yeah, who did? We did on Folsom Street. And so we're coming back to the city. I just loved coming here today, like watching everybody in South Park. You Isn't know, I've nice? been coming here for 20 plus years. Totally. I love seeing South Park go off. And, totally. And it's, it's a great walk through memory lane for me coming here. What was it like growing up for you? Like, uh, were both of your parents at the same dinner table growing up? Did they stay they together? Were. They were together almost 58 years, just shy of 58 years. My mom passed away in May of this year. I was an only child. My mom was a teacher. In fact, wound up becoming the only female teacher at my all-boys Catholic high school Wow! in San Mateo. And my dad was a small-town lawyer. So they moved out from New York in the late 60s. My dad transferred from Brooklyn Law School to Santa Clara Law School because one of his uncles lived out here. And so I grew up Kind of with an uh, all-American childhood as the spoiled only child. 58 years, man? Almost. Within a month. They came a month from 58 years. What did they talk about? Like it was just you and them two at the dinner table growing up, right? Yeah. What'd they talk about? They talked a lot about being about New York. I mean, my dad grew up in Queens, went to Queens College. His dad had come over from Italy and grew up in the Bronx. Family business was a fish and chip store in Harlem at 8th Avenue and 142nd Street. And for 50 years, that was the family business, supported five brothers, six Italian brothers, their families, 25 cents, you know, for fish. Uh, I think it was 35 for shrimp. And my grandfather would go to the fish market, Fulton Fish Market every day to buy fish and take it up to Harlem. And that was the family business. So my dad was the first to go to college. And the one of the brothers during World War II moved he married a woman from San Francisco, Italian woman, and moved out and, and started a liquor store on El Camino in Atherton. Come on. Called Menlo Liquors. <laughs> and my parents came out to visit one year and said, we're never going back. And my dad transferred and my mom got a, a job at a junior high school in San Jose and that was it. So very classic childhood, rode my bike to school, played every sport. You know, the peninsula was such an idyllic place in the 70s Incredible. and 80s. And, you know, I really pine for the 70s and 80s. I, I, you know, my wife and I are always sharing, you know, YouTube videos looking back. I mean, it, it was an amazing place to, to grow up. You mentioned um, the deal that you and your wife made, ostensibly both together and with Yahoo when you joined the company, yeah. was that she was part of the package type thing. Yeah. And Carl Eschenbach, the now CEO of Workday, negotiated a similar deal <laughs> with Workday because he left Sequoia after six years, to go back into the arena and build again. And there is a sacrifice, like a meaningful sacrifice that comes with that, that I think both she and you are probably eyes wide open to. 
the reason kind of the buildup for this is 58 years of your parents being together is an incredible amount of time. I have to imagine that there was something there growing up for you that you idealized seeing what they did together. And I don't think you wanted to f*** that up with your ambition in your career. I think holding those two worlds together is probably pretty tricky. Is that fair? Yes and no. I mean, I think my wife and I, we've been together, it'll be 29 years. Sorry, actually just was 29 years of our, our oh. first meeting. Has not quite been 29 years since our first date. And we moved in together two weeks later and have been together ever since. Been married. This will be 26 years this year. By the way, odd profile for a guy who ran Tinder, but we come back to that. <laughs> and um, so I think it was more just having great role models. I always had girlfriends growing up. I, I, that was always easy. My parents were just a great model for a relationship, including mm -hmm. the fact that they would argue and have things out. Our dinner table growing up was passionate. It was talking about the news, talking about, you know, mm. mixing it up and debating. When you would go to the, you know, I'm only a quarter Italian, but when you would go to the Italian side's dinner table, I mean, you couldn't get a word in edgewise, right? And, you know, again, my parents were just an iconic couple. And, you know, so I think I just had a good influence of what a healthy relationship looked like. And it came easy to me. I didn't try to make it happen. And when my wife and I met, it was instant. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was pretty much instant. Mm -hmm. And we were best friends right away. And it's been really, I think the maintaining that has been very easy. Again, everybody goes through, especially when you first have kids, I always think, you know, which is a lot of times people's thirties mm -hmm. that can get, you know, a little topsy turvy in terms of um, communications between the two. It smooths out after that as your kids get older, but this was more, I always have worked hard. I've always had jobs that required me to be on the road and we were about to be empty nesters. It was never a possibility that Shannon would just be at home with the dogs with me on the road the whole time. It just wasn't going to work. And we inherited at Yahoo an executive team that was almost entirely in New York, you know, because we are a combination of Yahoo and AOL, both of which have been bought by Verizon. And so over time, Verizon being in New York, New Jersey, AOL being in New York, I mean, we're still in their, their old offices. And so the team was there. So I knew I had to be there with them in person which meant Shannon was coming with me. Yeah, and the dogs. Sense. And the dogs. People ask me all the time, Juven, what are the consistencies amongst all these amazing guests that you have on the show? What are the common threads? And my answer is there's only two that I can find. One that is very obvious and one that was incredibly surprising. The one that's obvious is grit. That's why the show is called Grit, because I saw well before I even started this thing that there's only one thing that I can find in the winners, and it's that they have an ability to lose more than the rest of us and bounce back. The other that really surprised me was an incredibly strong partner. I cannot tell you how many of my guests, a strong majority, are still married and are very supported in their relationship. And I can't tell you how many times when we have references, the partner is one of our references. That actually... It gave me a lot of hope because in my mind, when I was growing up at my dinner table, I don't have the same sets of examples that you did. And so I was very jaded to the idea and taking it a step further. Like I was always the business people that I knew were always prioritizing that in lieu of the relationship. 
I don't know. I just, yeah. um, well, warms my heart. Look, I mean, there's nature and nurture. Clearly for you, it's in your nature to admire that or seek that. I don't know if you have that now. And the nurture side is it's what you're exposed to. It's nobody's fault. Same thing in, in work. Like you could have someone super talented who's worked for either people who are ineffective and don't know what they're doing or people who are jerks and treat every, everybody that way or a company culture. It's very hard to solve the nature part. The nurture part, if you can expose people to it, it works out. But look, my mom would get up at 5.30 in the morning and drive to San Jose for her job. So I was a latchkey kid. I got myself to school walking, taking my bike several miles and got myself home, got myself to practice. She'd be home when I got home. My dad, his office was actually in San Carlos, not too far from our house. He would make sure he was home every day for dinner, to throw the baseball, to play basketball. He coached my teams. But four nights a week, he would leave after dinner and go to city council meetings, bar association meetings, a board meeting. Um, he was actually the city attorney for several towns when I was growing up, including Woodside and Half Moon Bay. And so he would always be at those. So I was used to seeing my parents work their tails off and still have a super close relationship and still spend time with me. You went to UCLA, then you went to get your MBA. Why did you decide you started a company called eTour, correct? Yes. In school. In school. With a couple of buddies. Yep. A couple of classmates from Emory and a fourth person, a woman who was our CTO, who one of them had known. And I was not the CEO founder. I was the product guy founder. That makes sense. Of, of the three of us. You know, I had an internship that last year of grad school with an internet company where for some reason it was a, it was a digital company that kind of, it was owned by Westlaw, which was a competitor of LexisNexis. Mm-hmm. So it was online in the old, you know, telephone line version of that. Mm-hmm. And they sold public records online. And this CEO was well-known in Atlanta, where, where I went to grad school, and hired me as just his assistant and said, put me on the team to build them their internet business. Because this was, you know, I think 96, 97, mm-hmm. when it was just starting out. We did that. It became a top 100 site. I'd never done anything before. I really had never had, let's be honest, I had never really had a job before. Mm-hmm. I did that. I had all kinds of odd jobs in college and high school. And so the first thing I ever did was manage engineers to build websites. <laughs> I would use the ones I was using, like what eventually became CBS Sportsline and their fancy product, which I wound up managing for nine years in 1996, seven was called commissioner.com. I mm-hmm. said, make it look like that. I want that left-hand nav. I want the logo to go here, all that. We then, I had to do all the online advertising to get traffic. I had to do all the PR. You know, we got, we were in Time Magazine because you could discover Diane Feinstein's address using <laughs> our product. <laughs> and then I would have wound up doing my own startup, but one of my classmates, Roger Barnett, came back from his summer where he had been with the, if you remember a company called MyPoints back, this is a very Web 1.0 business in the same vein as NetCentives and others like that. And the founder was going to fund us, fund him to essentially build, that was an email product, to build a, an internet version of it and be our investor. And so he came back with a lot of money promised to him. And so I said, okay, well, he already has a business, so I'll join him. And so did another classmate as CFO. And so did Jen as our CTO. And so the four of us started building. And by the t- interestingly enough, that guy yanked his funding and said they were going to do it themselves. 
So you talk about all the different things in my career that have not been easy. That was number one. How much did you guys raise? We hadn't raised anything because he pulled the money. Okay. And this was the fall semester of my last year of four years of JD MBA torture program. And so Christmas of that year of 97, Roger and I flew to San Francisco. We met with some rando investors. A couple from Atlanta had also offered to give us money. And we raised a million dollars. And Wilson Sonsini agreed to f- represent us. And we're like, oh, we have it made. Wilson Sonsini is our <laughs> lawyer. And Mario Rosati like, gave us a, this book on startups. And we're like, oh, my God, this is perfect. And so we, you know, we built it. And so when that guy yanked his funding, we're like, well, sh- how about we just launch it anyway? And so we did. 97, 98. January of 98. And so within two or three months, because we, we had this rewards program as, as part of it, we were a top 10 internet company in monthly frequency. So the number of times someone would come to your website per month, which is still a, an important metric, yeah. it was very important in 1998. And so from there, it became very easy to raise money, especially in Atlanta, where there, there weren't that many startups. These so we kind of got every, sure. every VC in town and and some others wanting to invest in us. Yeah, the name eTour was unfortunate. <laughs> it was, everyone was like, oh, is that a um, travel site? It was like, no, we take you on tours of websites <laughs> that are matched to your interests so that you don't have to go searching for them, which in, again is a very so late funny. 90s product. And look, we wound up raising $50 million. We were going to go public. The market crashed. We crashed. Had to lay off half the company. It was a disaster. It was really not fun. We had our Camelot moment, though, for a couple of years b- before that and sold what was left to it of it to Ask Jeeves. A couple of years later... How much of it was left? I mean... Was it just pieces, parts and scraps? They, look, they bought into, this is Ask Jeeves in 2001, May of 2001, yeah, the idea that, look, it had been a successful product. We were a pretty well-known startup, even with this weird idea, and... So, you know, I think their idea was, oh, that for almost, for very little money, we could get a a pretty well-established company. And two interesting things with that. (laughs) One is when we sold and Ask hired me as the head of product there. They had a brand new president of their internet, the the consumer side. They also had a a software business at the time. And he hired me as that. He liked me and hired me as the head of product. Mm -hmm. The other interesting part of weird Silicon Valley lineage is that about a year later, Garrett Camp started StumbleUpon, which was essentially Etour. No kidding. <laughs> and, you know, which again, he did pretty well with. He sold it to eBay, bought it back, whatever. But that was pre-Uber Garrett. That's uh, insane. So, yeah. That's insane. Yeah. If what? you think about all the things we could have started in 1998, it's kind of a bummer that that's what we did. But, did uh, you, but uh, it was just amazing experience. Crazy time. A lot of people were faking it until they made it. I mean, I know companies that were had rooms full of fake servers when investors would come through. I mean, there were a lot of crazy things happening that that I'd, somebody at some point has to do the definitive Web 1.0 boom documentary or story beyond startup.com and some of the ones that happened before. Those are too close. Someone has to look back. It was an incredible time period. It was insane. Of idea, explosion. When you asked earlier, and you grew up in on the peninsula, Again, I would argue it became Silicon Valley in the 90s for real. Everything from San Francisco down to San Jose and past it became the valley. Mm-hmm. And you would go up and down 101 and everything was a billboard. And it was an interesting time period for sure. 
Well, it's funny because a lot of those web 1.0 founders went on to go do really interesting things. Garrett Camp being a great example. Anybody younger than me has never heard of StumbleUpon. <laughs> I'm sure. Like nobody, but like, uh, but when Garrett goes and talks about his career, he's not talking about StumbleUpon <laughs> generally speaking, right? Because a lot of yeah. these stories get told through rose-colored lenses of how something happened, but then it led to the next thing. I actually think we owe a lot of gratitude to folks like you and the Web 1.0 founders, CEOs, because they've laid the blueprint for what we're doing now. Yeah. It's amazing how many people are still around from that time period. Crazy. It's amazing also how many live in Europe and don't work, but that wasn't my pathway. You joined Ask to run product yep. uh, in 2001. Yep. By 2006, you'd become the CEO. Yeah. Where is Google at this time? Like, uh, <laughs> what percentage of market share did Ask have when you joined in 2001? So we were the turnaround team. So it had already crashed. It had. Oh, so, yeah. So it was Big at, time. It was a public company, right? It was. Peak market cap was like 10? Billion. Yeah, 10 billion, which is oh, so I remember when, when I joined, I think we were under a dollar a share. Okay. And got it back over 40 or I think it was 45 maybe at the peak before we, you know, wound up selling it later. But yeah, and, and, and look, I mean, there were rolling blackouts in the Bay Area. In fact, I believe I was announced on 9-11. As the CEO? Think, no, 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 no. As joining the company full time. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Me and this one other person, we were in a press release. I believe it was that day. It might have been the week before. <laughs> and I remember we flew because we then bought a search engine because we didn't own our own search technology. And they were on the East Coast. And we were on one of the first flights after 9-11 because we had to go to Boston to meet them. And then we drove down to New Jersey, which is where this company was founded in Piscataway, New Jersey. And we flew out of Newark over the smoldering pit of 9-11. I still remember that. And there were like eight people on the plane. Um, but, wow. you know, Ask Jeeves had gone through, you probably couldn't get a bigger punching bag as a brand for representing the Web 1.0 crash. But it had all the ingredients of what I've now found to be a doable turnaround, which is a lot of traffic. Everybody knew it. People would still come to it for, to ask questions or as a backup search engine to Google, which was already way bigger than us in 2001. Now that I'm at Yahoo, I can kind of explain that part of the history. And a lot of traffic with a product that's seen better days that you could actually improve to give those users a better experience and a brand that's seen better days. Now, I've since worked on turnarounds where the, the brand had the ability to be turned around. Ask Jeeves was probably never really going to make it. But through some, I think, amazing product work during that time period, um, and those who are in the search industry, you know, know what, what we did, both on the search engine side and on the user interface side. And through, you know, some really good ability to figure out monetization strategy, including we were, we were the first company to switch to Google with AdWords. So we became their partner in the summer of 2002. We switched from Overture. I still remember seeing the results of the test and realizing that it was going to make us profitable. And it was controversial to, to partner with one of your so-called competitors. You know, Eric Schmidt called it co-opetition. And we all leaned in. I mean, I, I have now been partners with Google at every company. Susan and Salar and Jonathan Rosenberg and all those people, we all did those deals together. And it really helped save the company. And then we went on to grow the traffic. We, we did some acquisitions. I think we got to 6% market share, which in search 
is a lot of money. It makes it a valuable company. Went from, let's just say, a buck to when you left 45? No, we we wound up selling it. We went up and then back down. I think uh, when it closed, I think we sold for $2.4 billion on the day of closing to IEC. In February of 05 is when it was announced. It closed that summer. 20X. Yeah, maybe more if you consider the uh, the 79 cents. At that moment, (laughs) did you have a, oh, this is interesting, like this idea of rejuvenating a brand. Was that obvious to you then that this was like, this is a cool thing to do? No. I've always been extremely motivated by the task at hand, which at that time was, holy shit, we got to save this company. And then seeing how much we could do with the product and that there were a number of things we did that were very specific. We understood the strategy of what we were doing. We actually had a great team, both between our team and Teoma, which is the search engine that we acquired. And so step one was, how do we stop the decline of traffic? Not save the company. It was, how do we actually grow this? And once we had a business model, it became almost linear to think, if you grow traffic, what will happen with revenue? And so everything became about the user experience, which in search is about more relevant results and getting people to where they're going faster, which led us to be the original innovators for the most part of what's now Google One Box. They were called Smart Answers. <laughs> going beyond 10 blue links is what we, we became famous for. It wasn't with the original Ask Jeeves product, which was a structured data knowledge base that was attempting to essentially hand code responses to those queries. It evolved in the, in the next few years, something a lot more dynamic than that. We also were very innovative on the back end. Ask Jeeves had acquired Direct Hit, which was one of Google's main competitors. And so we had the patent on user behavior algorithms. If you click on this and then click on that, if you do this query and then do the, you know, this other query, we owned all those patents. And so our, our algorithm was actually extremely innovative as well, which we then also applied on the ad side. You're also like only 33, 34, right? At the time of being the CEO. Yeah. So, so what happened was when we sold to IC. We had done so well, and that turnaround was so respected that Steve Berkowitz, our CEO, I was the GM of the US and UK businesses at that point. He got recruited to run all of the internet for Microsoft by Steve Ballmer mm-hmm. and went to Microsoft. I believe he was Sacha's boss. Wow. <laughs> and so that's how I became CEO. It was a battlefield promotion when, when Steve got recruited out. Do you remember like what, what was your psyche at the time? What was your headspace like? Look, the hardest thing was post-crash. And, and the people, again, who were there remember that 2001, so let's say 2004 or five when Web 2.0 really started to take off mm-hmm. and you kind of had another rebirth in the Valley. Those two or three years were lean times in the Valley. Not a bad time to be at a... I mean, it was tough to be a public company that originally was not crushing it. But then starting in 2002, we had a great ride. Totally. And so it was fun to be a part of a successful public company, especially one that had been an underdog. Yeah. Nobody really believed in us. And so that that part was actually really fulfilling. And we had done so well on the innovation side. One of the moments I I had never thought would happen, but it was one of my favorite memories in Silicon Valley, was when Walt Mossberg who was the number one product reviewer in the history of the Valley, basically wrote an A-plus review of Ask and said that in many ways we were better than Google. Wow. And then about 10 months later, we released another upgraded version, and he wrote almost you know, just as, as good of an article. And 
to have gotten his stamp of approval on our ability to innovate in search as Ask Jeeves was just something I never, you know. It's like when people the- don't remember it either because, you know, Ask eventually IEC kind of phased it out and turned it into a, a very different company. But we, we had our Camelot moment there too. What I really admire is you go to Redpoint, spend nine months there as an EIR, basically to go figure out what your next thing is. And that thing is another startup. You start a company. And coming off the heels of what is a huge win, financially, you're in a great spot. Your ego must be riding high. Like you're doing great at this point. You're willing to get back in the mud. You have kids at this point? Three. Three kids. And not as much money as you think. Because actually, I, you know, I was not the CEO when we sold. I, I, and we had a lot of founders and, I, you know, I did fine. But it was like, it wasn't like some life changing. It wasn't like you're going to no, retire money. N- definitely not. <laughs> and you decide, because I'm sure at that point, you end as the CEO of Ask, like yeah. your stock was high. There's probably a lot of options for you on the table. I think it's pretty cool that you decided to go start another company. Yeah, and, and it was a red pill, blue pill moment because I had actually turned down a public company CEO job to do it, which probably was also not the smartest financial decision of my life. Can you say, what, can you say what company? No. What, would we know the company now? Definitely. Although they've, they've since sold, so it's, it's been but you folded done better into there. another. You would have done better there. For sure, for a few years. I mean, maybe it netted out at, at some point. But, and walk but, me through the calculus at the time. So... Again, 2008, before the financial crisis, because which, you know, again, my career, it's so weird, but I think the week after I agreed to take funding for the startup was the, you know, the market crash. Again, <laughs> I spent that summer or that year, you know, really from March, I really left in March of 08 from IEC. And I went to Redpoint. Jeff Yang had been on our board at Ask at Redpoint, who's like the managing partner there. And it was an amazing time. I was meeting all kinds of startups. I sat in the pitch meetings for all kinds of companies that became well-known startups. But also a very good friend of mine also was in EIR that summer at Benchmark, which is Dave Goldberg, who passed away in 2015, who had been the founder of Launch. And this is before he bought SurveyMonkey. He was at Benchmark just down the street working on ideas. And so, you know, I would go down there I don't know, to see Dave. We would go to the Starbucks and on Sand Hill Road, you know, maybe once a week, once every two weeks to talk about ideas. One of which was, let's call it the idea that became my startup clicker. He had decided to do SurveyMonkey at that point to go buy that and not to go pursue this idea of a search engine slash programming guide for the coming era of internet television. TV video. guide for internet. Yeah. Yes. Except what would that look like if, if it was a digital version and you had real search guys against it and all the different things you could do and social, it could be pretty powerful. It wouldn't just be TV Guide. Ironically, I wound up buying TV Guide years later too. No way. <laughs> I did at, at, uh, at CBS. <laughs> but so that was the idea. And I just, I give this advice to people when they come to my office and tell me about the idea that they want to go start. I always look to see, is it that they just can't sleep at night if they don't get this idea out into the world. And I did feel that way. Now, I also thought that public company job could be pretty cool, <laughs> although it would have required me to move out of the Bay Area, and, and I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to move from my parents and, and do that to my kids. So that was part of the calculus too. But in the middle of all that, Bill Gurley from Benchmark 
became also enamored with this idea and had his own ideas about this notion. And Bill and I had gotten to know each other and, and had been meeting as well. And as soon as it became Bill Gurley wanted to fund it, it became something that I took a lot more seriously. And so then Jeff came in and the two of them were my two main investors. Sold it two years later? We spent a year in stealth almost. Yeah. We launched a TechCrunch 50 yep. in September of, of 2009. And then like out of beta at O'Malley's conference in November of 09. And then basically agreed to be sold in February. It was announced in March, but February of 2011. So I think we were around was it a 16 win? months. It was definitely a win for that era. I mean, again, things really took off afterwards. If you have to remember that back then, you know, YouTube was sold for what, 1.5 MySpace for five or 600. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the numbers in that era were not what they are now for what started happening to outcomes after March of 2011. But yeah, everyone did well enough. Again, for Bill, it, you wouldn't see it on his resume next to Uber, Zillow, or, or others. But, but you know, I think we, we hit a point where it was clear we either had to really go for it and expect a billion dollar outcome, or we really had two offers for the company and it made sense to do it. And part of that was also the offer to be the CEO or president of the CBS internet business. Uh You know, I was about to go on the board of CNET before they sold to CBS. Like I knew that business Uh I'd been using, you know, I had a history with all the different products and part of my upbringing, I'm a pop culture and media fanatic. You know, I'm a music person. I'm a news Uh person. I'm a sports person. The idea of running the, all those properties was like pig and slop for me. So we really wanted to do it. It seemed like a great home for the company. They own TV.com. The company's called Clicker, by the way. We didn't mention that, I don't think. But the idea was TV.com was coming after us. So they did the deal to marry those two things together and own the programming guide and, and search for the future for internet TV. You spent... Eight years almost at CBS. More, almost nine. Nine years. Yeah. I'm a little surprised by that, to be honest. Everybody was. I remember going on stage at TechCrunch. I don't know if it had been called Disrupt yet. I don't know if you know, but we, we also own TechCrunch mm-hmm. here at, today, at Yahoo. Yahoo. Yes, yeah. We actually just announced uh, a new editor-in-chief and general manager Congratulations. Today. So it was in three-year increments. So you sign contracts in Hollywood. And with the deal, I had to sign a three-year contract, by the end of which we had launched CBS All Access uh, as one of the very first end streaming, your streaming first services. three-year contract. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we actually pitched it in year one. We pitched it in November of 11. It was on like page 29 of, of my annual plan for 2012, which was we could do a streaming service. Mark Debevoise, who became my successor year, years later, is now the CEO of Brightcove, and I hired to run the entertainment business it was our baby, you know, together and really became his. I mean, he built it and launched it, but we, you know, we spent 12 convincing them of it, 13 in the beginning of 14 building it. And we launched it in October of 14. So by the end of those three years, we were jamming and I definitely, you know, I loved our team that we had built. Uh, it's always a huge thing for me at our companies. You know, I always loved the team building phase and I didn't want to go anywhere. I wanted to see that through. And then by the end of those three years, so six years into it, you know, we were one of the most important parts of the company. So they really bent over backwards to keep me and, and added this chief digital officer title. But, but really, we were just, um, you know, it was just a great 
job at that point. I loved the team. I loved the products. I didn't want to go anywhere. You then go to be, this is now. I left in December of 19 with the merger with Viacom. Yep. So that was essentially, they came in, I went out. What was and that I went, merger? And I went to benchmark as an EIR That's right. for like a month, and then COVID happened. <laughs> what was the merger? Viacom and CBS merged. Yep. To become Paramount. Yep. To become Paramount. Yeah. So CBS All Access, our product, is now Paramount Plus, and now has 61 million subscribers and is, is, kill, so is, is killing it. Yeah. We're all proud of it. And a lot of our team is still there running it. And I was part of the search wars. I was part of the original streaming wars. Those were both... Dude, you're like a walking historian of Silicon Valley. Yeah. And they were both amazing experiences with great people. We all stay in touch. It was great. But it was time. Look, it was either I was going to be CEO of the next company of of that company or I was going to leave. I wasn't to your point. I wasn't going to do the same job for 12 years. Yeah. So it was a very natural time. I believe a lot in succession plans and Mark. I need to do something different than the same job. And plus, Mark had earned it. He's amazing at what he does. He's a great leader. And is more, to be honest, much more of a Hollywood person than me. I mean, he, he came out of Hollywood and, and is great at it. So it was the right time for me as the Silicon Valley leader side of that coin. Like the technologist. Well, product. I'm product. Yeah. And we built it. We'd done it. It was the next level was, was theirs. And so I, you know, said my farewells and we had a nice going away dinner and that was it. I went to Benchmark. <laughs> went to Benchmark, month or two, COVID happens. Yeah. Then you go to Tinder to be the CEO of Tinder, spend That's right. like a little over a year there. And now again, if you think about how long relationships are in the, in the Valley and in, in this industry, that was again the IEC people knowing me and bringing me back in. You were there for a year. So you misevaluated- 14, 14 months. You misevaluated <laughs> something. No, not at all. I probably would still be there today. Huh. The Yahoo opportunity came along. We could talk about how, but- if not for that, which I felt extremely passionate about going to do for a number of reasons, I loved my time at Tinder. Again, I loved the team, loved them. Extremely passionate inside the company about their mission and the good they do in the world. I think somewhat misinterpreted by the outside world at times just because of people's impressions of the brand. But I believe a case could be made. It's the number one source of marriage in the, in the United States. And it absolutely, it has helped drive more diverse relationships, made that more acceptable in society, enabled it more. It's done so much good for the world. And that team knows it and is passionate about it. Mm-hmm. And I loved it and learned a lot. I mean, it's the number one grossing non-gaming product in the world, number one, 120 countries. And I both learned new tricks and also learned that now adding another vertical category to the things I'd done in consumer internet, that so much of it is, this, is similar, is the same, you know? And as someone who hadn't done that particular category before, it felt very familiar to me from day one. Dude, what's something that people think about you that you don't agree with? What's something that from the outside looking in, this is the perception of Jim, versus from the inside looking out, you disagree with? I'm not disagree. I think... It's hard to know anymore. I mean, it's not been around so long. It's hard to know anymore what they do or wouldn't or don't think about me. And I spend zero time thinking about that. There are two things that I do, product and people, building great teams and building great stuff. Like that's what we do. And that's, I think, why we're successful wherever my team, we, we've gone. 
people wouldn't realize that, you know, when I was 26, seven, I was working with top ad agencies to do television ads that we should not have been spending our money on in the nineties. And I really know my way around the advertising and marketing world, the branding world. I'll tell you one other thing, which is, you know, a prominent VC many years ago said they wouldn't invest in my company because I wasn't an engineer. And I would just have you talk to any engineers, including my search engineers, the algorithm engineers, to say whether or not they think that mattered to my ability to add value to product. (laughs) You know, I think when I wake up in the morning, that's still how I think of myself and what I love doing the most and coming in, in and out of product reviews is still my favorite thing to do. At the same time, I've had times when I've been at single product companies. Ask was one of them in search. Tinder was another one. The two biggest companies I've run have been conglomerate companies, portfolio companies. And in those cases, it is not my job to be the chief product officer, day-to-day at least, conceptually maybe. It's to build great teams and empower them to entrepreneurially go after their own products, their own markets, and not tell them what to do all day. So in that case, I wound up, you know, being more the ringleader of great people than the person, you know, micromanaging fonts and, you know, whether or not a word is centered within a button, which unfortunately too often it's not. (laughs) You spend zero time (laughs) thinking about what others think of you? I really try not to. I think that over time, I've taken enough punches in the industry that just bums you out. It gets you distracted if you start to steer yourself towards what people think of you. I'm happy to let have our teams know how much we love what we're doing and doing it together and see the results. I really love to let our accomplishments speak for ourselves. That really affected me when I came to Yahoo. I feel like the world wanted me to thump our chest about how great we were going to be, how great Yahoo was. You just don't get it. I really have been careful in these, it'll be two years next month, to take our time, do this right, build the team right, get the strategy right, start cooking on the product side, and let, if we can win, let that speak for itself. It's interesting because... If you were to take the name Yahoo off of it, billion users a month, maybe just shy of it, double-digit growth, billions of top-line revenue, shitload of profit, one of the largest internet companies in the world. It's got more revenue than Twitter. Is that right? We're both private, so I don't know. It's possible. Okay. So Apollo, which is a private equity firm, bought it. Yeah. Right? And took it public. That's what happened, right? No, took it private. Took it, took sorry, it. We sorry, spun, sorry, sorry, of course, yeah. yes. Apollo bought it public and took it private. They bought it from Verizon, which That's is still right. one of our, our largest shareholder. And, yes. Um, and took it private. Took it private, $5 billion. Yes. And what happens? They call Jim? I knew them before they bought it. So, you know, CBS Interactive was in some ways the bizarro Yahoo. We, were, we competed against them in almost every category. We knew them. And before that, I always was on, you know, I went to search conferences, you know, mm-hmm. be on stage with their search teams. Mm-hmm. And so I've known the Yahoo teams going back to 
Jeff Weiner and Brad and everybody, you know, in the years before that and Sue, you know, I've known Yahoo the whole time and our company had been very similar to theirs and I knew that space. So when they were looking at it, someone told them that they should talk to me to get my advice. You just couldn't resist. No, I, my point of view was that if you could get it for the right price, it was a very rare opportunity because again, my MO has been take things that are undervalued and build and don't worry about back to ask Jeeves. Don't worry about what the world thinks about ask versus Google. You're never going to win that. Worry about your growth versus yourself. And if that happens, you know, now can you accomplish a lot? You're going to make a lot of money at doing it. And I thought that about this, that if you could get it at the right price with this size of a user base and this amount of revenue with products that had seen better days, a brand that had been through the ringer, you know, a team that could probably stand to at the very least be optimized, that that was an amazing opportunity. And so they wound up buying it in May, announced in May of 21 and closed on September 1st, 2021. It's almost exactly two years ago. Wow. Most decisions, maybe besides Tinder, seemingly are not the sexy decision. When you go to Yahoo or you stay at Ask, you're still a little broke compared to some of your peers, to your point. Do you not feel that? Like, uh, you know, you've been in Silicon Valley forever. You go to all the parties, all of your friends. Jeff Weiner was running LinkedIn or whatever, right? I don't know. I guess, do you never experience the relativism of it in the Bay? Does the question make sense? It does. It's one reason why, to be honest, I didn't want my kids growing up on the peninsula. You know, I didn't want my kids having to compete against the same people that I was at work, <laughs> you know, their kids, which I think is it was an easier decision to make having grown up here. So Brett Taylor and I are, are the two people living in Lafayette <laughs> away from the, the fray. But that's not a, exactly the pathway of my career, which was started a company. It was acquired. Things went great, stayed there for a long time, left start a company. That was a decision point. You know, that was two and a half, almost three years start to finish. We weren't out of beta for that long, but we spent, you know, time building. We were acquired, stayed nine years, left, did Tinder. And, and I did, you know, make that decision to leave, to take Yahoo. We all know people who are in this for the resume and they do make decisions based on that. I guess my decision was to stay. I definitely had offers to go do other yeah. things at more prestigious yeah, brands. That's what I mean. But, you know, I think just being another person on the rocket ship, the Valley is littered with people who were waving their arms at the horizon mm -hmm. and acting like they were the ones making the sun come up. <laughs> you know, I, I just, it's just not my style. Like where I'm Why not, I like to be actually make an impact and I do become very loyal to the cause. So I loved the turnaround story of ask, you know, we mm -hmm. made that happen. And again, it didn't survive post acquisition. Things happened. Clicker was well known for the year and a half plus that we were doing it. We were, we were a pretty hot startup for a yeah, time. It didn't period. start that way. It was still a startup. It started as a startup for sure. And again, I got there and basically killed it. Because yeah. when I got to CBS, now it was my job to run that whole business. Yeah. And there was a lot to fix there and a lot to do. So, you know, it didn't survive. But no, I mean, look, for Yahoo in particular, I was just at a conference with a lot of CEOs in the industry 
in media and tech. And I looked around and I, I really, I thought to myself how glad I am to be doing what I'm doing. I love this new team that we built. I love the opportunity of actually being able to be, have this chance to be the ones to make Yahoo happen. And again, I think our scorecard is different. It's not going to be a trillion dollar company and that's okay. Let's just take what we're given. Be humble about that. Let our accomplishments speak for themselves. And honestly, there are years of Proc Roadmap ahead in every one of the verticals that we operate in, in finance, sports, mail, news, search. There's so many things to do. Our ad tech business, that is plenty for me to handle and be proud of. What happens when the acquisition happens and you join? Clean slate on the board, right? Whole new board. Whole new board. I mean, Apollo obviously has a good number of those, but we also added a lot of amazing people. And how much are you coordinating with Apollo versus Yahoo? Like, how does that like baton get passed? Does that question make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, their philosophy is that they... Their two main jobs are investing well and hiring great CEOs. (laughs) And what I have found, because this is the only private equity firm I've ever worked with, and I obviously know friends who've done others, it has only been a positive experience. So Reed Raymond is the chairman. It was largely his deal. He's been an amazing partner. We talk every day. His deal team has been an extension of our team. We involve them in everything, in M&A, financial planning, problem solving. You know, we really love those guys, the younger team, that that's part of it. David Samber, who's the head of PE, is on our board, and Lee Solomon, who's really their media expert. So to me, it's been a great... I'm sure if I screw it up, like, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, you wouldn't feel that way. But everybody thinks... Things are going very well. It's one of the fastest returning deals in the history of Apollo. And I think they can see how many things that we have cooking that they're excited about going forward. It's been great so far. Your team, many have come with you basically since Ask. What do you think you've learned about team building? Sitting here at Yahoo, having the same sets of people that you feel like you kind of picked right and helped groom into the executives ostensibly that they are today. What do you think you got right? Well, I have a hiring philosophy. And one way I would kind of challenge what you said is, is it's not all the same people. And one of the cool things is that everywhere you go, you meet new people. There's sometimes there are amazing people who just needed they were waiting for you to show up because they, they believe in your plan versus the prior plan. Or maybe you saw something in somebody that they were really great and you elevated them. So I always find this mixed blood between my network, people you've inherited, and then a third group, which is brand new people who might come in through my network, not people who've worked for me, but through people I know, or even through a recruiter. And you mix those three groups together. That is an incredible mix because you don't get hung up on the past. It's not only people who think they know everything because they've done it all together. It's a good blend between old and new. So everywhere I've gone, we've done that. And I think that's one reason we've been successful. Another is, and I've said this to the company, and we've actually laid this out. There are four things that I hire for on my team. 
you know, the executive team. And I actually want everybody in the company to think this way. One is domain expertise, actual domain expertise, right? I worked in search. I know search. I know SEO. You can't fool me on that. Search monetization. When you're in search, you actually do wind up learning about almost every other category online. So I had a great head start in knowing this. And even when you, you think about CBS All Access, it was really started not as an attempt to get into streaming, but as a freemium product, I would argue more like Evernote or something, where you start top of the funnel with free and some of those people would pay you for an, an enhanced product. That's really where that start is, is, in my view, more of a Silicon Valley product. But so domain expertise, no matter what area of the company. Number two is EQ. So a lot of people with IQ, not everybody understands how to put productivity over politics, how to actually be a great teammate, not just say it, understands why diversity is important without, you know, trying to lecture them about it. You know, I always say life is dramatic enough. I've had a lot of things in my personal life this year without adding unnecessary drama at work, right? High EQ people don't do that. They are really easy to work with. And so if you can combine that domain expertise with EQ, you're kind of 90% there. The other two are what I would call natural ambition, as opposed to, let's say, Machiavellian ambition. You know the people. They're just competitive. They got good grades. They push themselves. They want to win. And you get them in a situation that I'm usually in, which is underdog status, a bit of a chip on your shoulder to go to go make something happen people don't think you can do. Those are the types of people that I like to have around the table. And the fourth is love of the game, especially in central roles. So if you're in finance or HR and legal, why do you work here and not at Procter & Gamble or Nike, right? Or Goldman? Like, why is it here? You got to love these products. You got to love sports. You got to love news. You had to love streaming. You had to love search. And you really want to be a part of that. So... Those are the four things that generally we look for in the team. And, you know, again, my job is to be a great ringleader of great people and to make sure that they're in a situation where they can really go at it. I'll say one last thing, which if you look at my executive team here, a lot of them have been entrepreneurs and founders and CEOs of their businesses. And again, if they had founded Instagram, they wouldn't, you know, necessarily maybe be, although Kevin as a startup, you know, they're not on yachts. They want to achieve something. And so those, when I look for general managers, but even Laura Davis, my chief strategy officer, who's the head of corp dev and business planning, she ran her own startup for five years in the e-commerce space. Toppen, who's the uh, president of Yahoo Finance, he had been the COO of NerdWallet. And way long ago, he was one of Jeff Wiener's main lieutenants at Yahoo, but in between had a startup that he had. So Matt Sanchez, who's the president of all the home businesses like Search and Mail, he was the founder of Say Media here in San Francisco, which was a very well-known startup many years ago. So I love that entrepreneurial bent, which usually lends itself to expertise. And, you know, the trade-off is I'm not there to tell them what to do, right? Somebody like that, you can't say you're the CEO of your own business and then try to boss them around all day. My job is to be a partner for them and let them run. As the CEO of Yahoo, if you don't do anything else, what do you do? Maybe I can frame the question in a different way. If you are putting your to-do list together on Sunday night for the week, for the month, for the quarter, what are the like uncompromising buckets that you categorize things into 
where you're like, hey, if I stay in these sets of swim lanes, maybe it's one, maybe it's multiple, we're going to be fine. Like that is my job. That truly depends on timing. So when I first got to the company, the first three or four months, there were two things, evaluating the company and the people and the teams and the structure and the deals, the history of the data, all that. The other was I had to get them through COVID. That was September of 21. I joined end of September 21. And if you remember that time period, I mean, it was still pretty hardcore COVID. People were, I think Delta hadn't quite happened and we were about to shut down again. So I had those two things. Step two was the org. And that was a combination of reorganizing the company and starting to bring in great people to run each of the businesses that we were setting up and the central teams, a lot of whom were promotions internally. Honestly, that has continued for a long time because even last month, Ryan Spoon just joined as the president of Yahoo Sports, who's amazing. Tressie Lieberman just joined at the beginning of this month as our chief marketing officer. So that team building has, has gone on and that it's been levels down. You know, we've hired a new head of design. We just brought Kyle Miller over as the head of product for email. Like it's all around the company. I mean, we've recruited or promoted a huge number of the top 100 of the company. So between that and, and let's just say all the operations, that's been a lot of work the first year and a half to two years. We've been down the path on a lot of M&A things. So we, we've been announcing a lot of smaller acquisitions. We've actually been in the mix for some larger ones that we didn't pull the trigger on. The prices weren't right. I'm still waiting for the market to fully adjust. But <laughs> so there's been a lot of that. I have beats to how I run things during the year. And so our annual business planning process is kicking off now. That's through the end of the year. That'll culminate in a presentation of the board in December. Budgets get, get locked in November. And I have a specific format to how I do business planning. So we're uh, in the middle of that. It really depends. You know, the summer was full of conferences and things I had to attend. So you're on the road a lot. At the end of the day, though, look, it, it will come down to, in my view, product, which it always does. You have this huge audience. You definitely have products that have seen better days and, and need to be upgraded. That's the UI. That's the information architecture. That's the right features. I think over time, what happens with companies is they tend to prioritize the product roadmap around their business need as opposed to the user need. We need a video strategy. So let's compete with these video companies and let's put video above the fold where that tool that somebody actually came to you for used to be and is now three scrolls below the fold, <laughs> right? Yahoo in its original incarnation, this is on the website from 1995, was a guide to the World Wide Web. It was people's trusted guide to get from A to B. In the early days, that was find a website. Nowadays, that's achieve a goal that they're trying to get done. In finance, it's build your wealth. In email and communications, it's communicate or it's to manage your life. In sports, you're trying to find news and scores or you're trying to play fantasy against your friends. In news, it's logistics. I mean, you go down the list. I mean, there's one for every one of those. So we've had to reevaluate what we've really been doing for a long time. And I have a big heart for decisions that were made when these were standalone public companies. I say plural because we also own AOL. That's where TechCrunch came from. It was through the... This was a merger of these two companies and six years within Verizon, which had different objectives for what was called Verizon Media than I would have as a standalone company just competing in my verticals. 
And so pushing product and helping our people to move forward on that front is, it certainly is another big part of my job. There are some probably pretty interesting chess moves that you can make around breaking off some of these, right? Like these are all pretty big, could be independent businesses that might not make sense cohesively anymore today. Like it does feel like a smorgasbord of a bunch of different interesting things. I also imagine you could probably take this thing public again. You could like bite off different chunks and pieces. Is that fair? It's fair that this company, if we do what we've set out to do and we hit some milestones, that it could be a public company again, for sure. And that would be a great That'd be awesome. goal. I think it's great to be private right now and be able to make all the changes that we need to make. You know, we made a very big and tough decision back in February to make a huge set of changes to our ad tech business where 30 plus businesses had been acquired over a 10, 15 year period. And, and we had to shut some of those down to focus on on one specific part of it, which is our DSP, which is great. And triple down on that meant that we had to stop focusing on some others. You know, that's the kind of decision that was really hard to make as, as a standalone public company earlier. You know, I think it's a strength for us strategically to be able to make decisions privately right now yep. and to, to be builders right now. I actually disagree somewhat that it's a set of disparate assets. I think they are all in their own way the trusted guide of their category. And I don't mean guide like Michelin guide. I mean, get you from A to B, do it in a value-added way, hopefully do it in a, a way that surprises and delights you to get you there. In the categories where we are number one or number two, finance, sports, news, mail. But not like TechCrunch. It, that's, first of all, smaller company. Yeah, yeah I would yeah. almost think of it as a division of... of totally. Like, I, yeah, I guess yeah, what yeah. I was talking about, there's all these like random different There are as many as you would think, but yes. Yeah. I, I agree with you yeah. that, that, let's say Which there's some... Which came from AOL. Right. Yeah. And AOL is a, a different set of products totally. too. Totally. Totally. But the, I'm, I'm saying the original Yahoo. Yeah. It's funny. We, we really thought about this. The original Jerry and David mission... Which for a number of reasons, right? Losing search in June of 2000, which funny enough was made for the right reason, which was there was no business model in search. They were a public company and they decided the best search engine was Google. So we're going to give it to you. <laughs> it just turned out that that move as a business, once search had a business model two years later, was checkmate in a lot of ways. But the company's always been strongest and where we are still strong and number one or number two, it's because we do that really, really well. And, you know, there've been teams of people working on that in behind the scenes as the rest of the industry became enamored with other things that have been working really hard at making the company great at that. And I think our best days are ahead of us in each of those categories. That's, that is what we're focused on. I have one more question, which is that from all the research and listening and watching that I did of you, you strike me as someone that is very first principled in how you think, meaning it seems to me that you draw your own conclusions on things. And I also bet that given the intersection of all the worlds that you're in, there's a lot of fucking opinions that you get from a lot of different people. And again, I don't know, but this is just an observation from the outside looking in that those are probably two tricky things to balance, which is a bunch of opinions, especially because these properties have been around for so long that people have had a long time to develop opinions on these things, to now you being at the helm of some of these really iconic companies. First of all, do you think that's a right read? Like, is that practiced? Is there anything to that? On I actually think it's very courageous to be able to come to your own conviction on things. 
So maybe less of a question, more of an observation. I've never had a problem making a decision saying, all right, let's go. I'm not afraid of the hard times and things can get rough. You know, this is how many crashes have we been through since I've been doing this? I've been at companies that were struggling and, and, or we worked for six months on a product and our competitor launches a version the day before. (laughs) I mean, there've been, you just can't throw me anymore on these things, but I never have a problem making a decision. I will say that I would think people who work with me think that while I, I do have my own strong opinions, I definitely canvas to see what people think. Probably goes back to the debating dinner table if, if I'm to think about it. And I have people in my life who I always go to for to see what they think. I won't always listen. I will make my own decisions. Sometimes the people I trust the most, I'll make a different call than their advice. I've found in life people don't always want advice. <laughs> You know, you, you'll give it to them and they'll do what they're going to do. I don't think I'm like that. I think I am willing to change my mind, even if I hold a strong opinion. But I, I will canvas to see what my most trusted advisors and, and people close to me think. I appreciate you doing this. I cannot wait to see how this turns out. I cannot this, wait. This podcast? No, this company. <laughs> this podcast is going to be Kidding, doing great. Kidding. I cannot wait. I'm so excited. I end all these things the same. First, are you hiring? Are there any executive roles? Are there any key roles? Anything that you want to shout out or use this platform? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I I'd, I'd tend to keep that closer to the vest. So no, I won't shout out for it. I'll just say that, you know, I think our team is genuinely inspired to try to make this happen. I think one of the things when people say to me, what are you most surprised by since you joined? It's been how many people I feel like are rooting for us. And it's easy to be cynical about Yahoo in the Valley because we all know what it went through and we all know in some ways what it was or wasn't. But, you know, it's not a brand that people have a distaste for. There are no negative opinions about it. The question is, what can you really, how good can you make it? And we appreciate people rooting for us. We appreciate the lack of cynicism and we we think we can deliver on that. We, we have a lot of really good ideas and we're dedicated to it. When you hear the word grit, who or what do you think of? Steph Curry first came to mind. <laughs> but no, I, I think I honestly first think of my dad, someone who came from nothing. And he was one of the people standing on street corners trying to, uh, to get yard work while he was going to law school. And I think about his dad going to the fish market and, you know, having that stick to itiveness and belief that you'll finally get somewhere, you know, again, he's, he's had a really hard year. My mom passed away in May unexpectedly. And to watch how he's spent the last three months recovering and, and coming through that again together, it would have been 58 years in, in June. There's no one I could think of who better exemplifies that. Jim, thank you. Thanks for having me. That's it. Thanks for tuning in. Feel free to come back every Monday morning to listen to a new guest or go back into the archives when we've done more than 100 episodes. This podcast is a Kleiner Perkins production and the episode was edited by Eric Johnson from Lightning Pod. Thank you all.